The Ladies' Book of Etiquette and Manual of Politeness by Florence Hartley Introduction In preparing a book of etiquette for ladies, I would lay down as the first rule Do, 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 do unto others as you would others should do to you. You can never be rude if you bear the rule always in mind. For what lady likes to be treated rudely? You'd have to go back a long way to know how women have been down, what we'd call downgraded today, over the centuries. But this is the mythology of the period. Women were supposed to obey. Women were housewives. Women were not in public life. Women were not in business. Women could do some office work. but uh, paid uh, with less than half the wages that the men would be paid, even if they were doing the same thing. Women were just uh, uh, not capable. And, and, uh, I don't know, think that they said that they were uh, a lower breed. Uh, they couldn't do that very well, but uh, just incapable. And uh, they went one day to see Sir Rodman Robland, who was the premier of Manitoba at that time, and to ask him to enfranchise women in this province. And of course he was uh, very much opposed to it. He thought it was ridiculous. He told them how absurd and foolish they were. He used some very uncomplimentary words according to the papers of that day. And um, there's no doubt that it was true uh, that um, he just uh, couldn't conceive of uh, women uh, going out and voting. What would they vote for? Of course, men continued for quite some time believing that their wives ought to vote as they told them to. Probably they did. I don't know how else it could be, and since they have agreed, we would have had some other changes before this time. And there's no objection particularly to that. Well, he made such a fuss over it, and was so it was so repugnant to him that it got into the papers. Of course, the opposition papers were very glad to have this story. And Nellie McClung decided that she would put on a mock parliament down in the Walker Theatre. Au début, je ne pensais pas du tout m'occuper jamais d'une manière spéciale des problèmes du féminisme, parce qu'il me semblait, et d'ailleurs il me semble encore aujourd'hui, que ces problèmes sont subordonnés à des problèmes sociaux beaucoup plus vastes. C'est seulement dans ces dernières années que ce désir m'est venu, d'une part parce qu'il m'a semblé que les femmes d'aujourd'hui avaient beaucoup de mal pratiquement et moralement à vivre et qu'elles étaient dans un état de déséquilibre, et d'autre part parce que j'ai été assez irritée, comme beaucoup de femmes, par le nombre de grandes sottises qui se débitent à propos de nous et à propos de notre situation. The spirit of politeness consists in a certain attention to forms and ceremonies which are meant both to please others and ourselves and to make others pleased with us. The title of this poem is A Woman Speaks. Moonmarked and touched by sun, my magic is unwritten But when the sea turns back, it will leave my shape behind. I seek no favor untouched by blood, 
unrelenting as the curse of love permanent as my errors or my pride. I do not mix love with pity, nor hate with scorn, and if you would know me, look into the intros of Uranus where the restless oceans pound. I do not dwell within my birth, nor my divinities, who am ageless and half-grown, and still seeking my sisters in Dahomey, witches wear me inside their coiled clothes, as our mothers did, mourning. I have been woman for a long time. Beware my smile. I am treacherous with old magic and the noon's new fury. With all your wide futures promised, I am woman and not white. This is no simple reform. It really is a revolution. Sex and race, because they are easy, visible differences, have been the primary ways of organizing human beings into superior and inferior groups and into the cheap labor on which this system still depends. We are talking about a society in which there will be no roles other than those chosen or those earned. We are really talking about humanism. I have to practice my elevator version of it, but intersectionality is basically the idea that um, we experience life, sometimes discrimination, sometimes um, benefits, based on um, a number of different identities that, that we have. Um, so uh, the, the, the basic term came out of a case where I was looking at black women who were being discriminated against, not just as black people, not just as women, but as black women. So intersectionality was basically a metaphor to say, well, they've got race discrimination that they're facing coming from one direction, they've got gender discrimination coming from another direction, and they're colliding in their lives in ways that we don't really anticipate and understand. So intersectionality is basically meant to help people think about the fact that discrimination can happen on, a, on the basis of several different factors at the same time. We need to have a language and ability to see it in order to address it. A lady's conduct is never so entirely at the mercy of critics because never so public as when she is in the street. Her dress, carriage, walk will all be exposed to notice. Every passerby will look at her if it is only for one glance. Every unladylike action will be marked. And in no position will a dignified ladylike deportment be more certain to command respect. Let me start with you. Upon your promenade, my friend, and I will soon decide your place upon the...
I stand here as someone who has written herself onto this stage to unapologetically proclaim that I am a trans woman writer, activist, revolutionary of color. And I stand here today because of the work of my forebears, from Sojourner to Sylvia, from Ella to Audrey, from Harriet to Marsha. I stand here today, most of all, because I am my sister's keeper. My sisters and siblings are being beaten and brutalized, neglected and invisibilized, extinguished and exiled. My sisters and siblings have been pushed out of hostile homes and intolerant schools. My sisters and siblings have been forced into detention facilities and prisons and deeper into poverty. And I hold these harsh truths close. They enrage me and fuel me, but I cannot survive on righteous anger alone. Today, by being here, it is my commitment to getting us free that keeps me marching. Our approach to freedom need not be identical, but it must be intersectional and inclusive. It must extend beyond ourselves. I know with surpassing certainty that my liberation, my liberation is directly linked to the liberation of the undocumented trans-Latina yearning for refuge, the disabled student seeking unequivocal access, the sex worker fighting to make her living safely. Collective liberation and solidarity is difficult work. It is work that will find us struggling together and struggling with one another. Just because we are oppressed, just because we are oppressed, does not mean that we do not ourselves fall victim to enacting the same unconscious policing, shaming, and erasing. We must return to one another with greater accountability and commitment to the work today. By being here, you are making a commitment to this work. Together, we are creating a resounding statement, a statement that stakes a claim on our lives and our loves, our bodies and our babies, our identities and our ideals. But a movement, a movement is so much more than a march. It is that difficult space between our reality and our vision. Our liberation depends on all of us, all of us returning to our homes and using this experience and all the experiences that have shaped us to act, to organize, to resist. <laughs> We've had the opportunity to consider a vast expanse of history. And we, 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 we've looked at the period of slavery and, and, and afterwards. And if we think of the activists during that era, if we think of, of anti-slavery activists in the US and Canada, 
and other parts of the world and imagine what their work accomplished for us who have the ability to inhabit a world that is slightly more free today. And I want to urge all of us to think capaciously, to imagine the future in the broadest possible terms, and to resist the, the, the um, pressures of neo neoliberalism that would have us measure everything by the individual. And so if we think about a struggle that is probably going to last for another 150 years, it makes no sense to say, well, why get involved in something if I'm not going to reap the benefits of it? Um, mm -hmm. I was talking to someone recently about the importance of, 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 of initiating this deep, um, struggle against racism that will probably take a very long time to reveal any uh, benefits. And the person said, well, but I'll be dead then. Mm. <laughs> and I said, yes, you will be dead. <laughs> well, I'll be dead. We don't live that long. And if people in the 1800s who were standing up against slavery thought in those terms, yeah. then we wouldn't have the opportunity to enjoy uh, a little bit more freedom in the 21st century than people had in the 19th century. So when we say the fight is not over, let's try to think about the future in the most capacious, the most capacious possible terms. Justice is indivisible, and injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Thank you. In every situation of life, high or low, this sort of knowledge is of great advantage. There is no necessity that the gaining of such information should interfere with intellectual acquirement or even elegant accomplishment.